You know, when you think about graduation and you think about promotion and moving on, you oftentimes think about this little word that we oftentimes use called success. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think about life and you think about finishing well, some people would say, you need to finish successful. So if we were in a room where we were sitting down and I could look you in the face and you could look me in the face and we could talk through this word, how would you, and think about this seriously now, how would you define success? Now, depending on who you ask, success may come out in different ways. For example, it could be you complete a milestone. Now, there is a degree of success that is true in finishing a course, maybe getting a diploma, getting a degree. You have succeeded to do that. But when we talk about life as a whole and say you lived a successful life, what do we mean by that? Some people may say, well, it meant that as a career, you advanced high on the corporate ladder and you did well. So it would be a position. Others may say, well, financially, you were successful in the fact that you reached your monetary goals, you have wonderful benefits, you have all kinds of security in your investments, and therefore you were successful in life. Others may say, well, you know, you had this family and you got them to this level and therefore is a... So the word success, we could go round and round talking about it. But at the end of the day, when we ask the question, what is success? The only way it can be defined is by the eternal lens. In other words, what will last a million years from today? Okay, what will last a million years from today? There are only two things that are eternal, according to God's Word, and that is the souls of men and the Word of God. Those two things are said to never go away. They will last for eternity. So an old wise man defined the word success in these terms. Are you ready? I hope you never forget this. He said success is finding out what God wants you to do and doing it exactly like he says to do it. Now, let me just stop before I get into the message here and say, what is it that God has commanded people who are made in his image to do? Well, the very first thing he's told us to do is to believe in the provision that he made for our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in Christ for eternal life. That is one decision you can make that a million years from now will carry all the way into eternity. And if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you are successful in eternal life. So be thankful and live for him. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'm just hitting you right coming out of the gate here this morning, then a million years from now... You will regret not accepting God's forgiveness for our sin because God made that provision for us and he offered it freely and by grace. And so we have the option, do we receive it, believe it, or do we reject it and turn away? That is success in eternal life. 
Now, as we think about success in this life and obeying and doing what God tells us to do, we mentioned this last week in part one of the message, which I promise I won't repeat, that one of the best ways to learn how to be successful is to study the lives of people who aren't. So this morning, as you take God's Word and find 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to look at the king that Israel chose uh, to be their leader. And we're going to learn some lessons about him and lessons about eternity this morning as we think about being successful. Now, when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm trying to be brief, to the point, and very clear this morning, you have three camera shots of this whole chapter. And here they are in summary form. Now, imagine you're taking your video camera now, and you're, you're getting this chapter. You're going to take picture number one. It covers nine verses. And it's the picture of God commanding Saul to do what he told him to do, word for word. And here is the story. God told King Saul to go to the Amalekites and completely destroy them. The word here is harem. It means to annihilate. This was actually a term in the Old Testament that God used as an act of worship. Now, you and I don't understand this sometimes. We may think that this is cruelty, it's barbaric, it's warfare, whatever, and I don't have time to get into it. But believe it or not, the nation of Israel had a special relationship to God Almighty. And the relationship they had with him was they were his war instrument. God chose that nation to be his instrument of justice in the world. They were to be a light and a witness, but they were also to be a means of justice to the nations. Listen carefully. God did not allow them to multiply chariots and horses and warriors. God told that nation they were to be totally dependent upon him to defeat the enemies, and they were to obey and do exactly what he said. When the nation of Israel tried to go out of Egypt 400 years prior to this event, the Amalekites met the nation of Israel and they punished and tortured the weak, the sickly, and the pregnant of the nation of Israel who were trying to go out of the land and they took advantage of them. Now I want you all to hear me. God told Saul... You are to go and carry out my wrath on the Amalekites, and you are not to spare any of them. Man, woman, beast, animal, everything is to be completely annihilated, and you are to take them away and remove them. That was the simple command. And God said, Saul, do you understand? And Saul said, yes, he, he will do it. And so God was going to give them the victory. Now, I'm sure you know the story as you read chapter uh, verses 1 through 9. Saul goes, and sure enough, he defeats the army. However, he brings back the king, whose name is Agag, and he also kills off all the sickly animals, but he chooses to bring back the best. And so here we have this picture of this man's half-obedience to God. He does only what he wants to do and believes that that is full obedience. Now, I need to go back and just touch on one or two things because once I pass over them, they're gone. And they are the character of God. Notice that 400 years has elapsed from the exodus of Egypt 
until the time when God tells King Saul to pass judgment. Now, in our eyes, after 400 years has lapsed, God has forgotten about revenge. However, we do not have God's perspective on vengeance, do we? When God says, I will judge, you can mark this down plain and straight. God will do exactly what he says he will do, but he often waits to do it in his time. People sometimes believe that the delay of God is the ignoring of God. And that is the wrong, that's the most improper thing you can ever think about God. 400 years, he allowed the cup to be full, and he's going to pour out his wrath on the Amalekites. Now, how does that apply to the world today? And by the way, you should write this down. Isaiah chapter 24. In Isaiah chapter 24, God pictures Jesus coming back to take out vengeance on the nations of the world. It is a worldwide vengeance, and God says the reason he's going to do that is because they have broken the eternal covenant. Now, when you begin to ask the question, what is the eternal covenant that God is going to bring judgment on this world for breaking? If you go back and read it, it's very clearly Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 9, the Noahic covenant. The one which God flooded the earth gave the rainbow as a sign that he would no longer destroy the earth by flood again. You know, that was his rainbow, by the way. And part of the Noahic covenant was this. Whoever sheds innocent blood, that person's blood will be shed. And so in Isaiah chapter 24, those of us who interpret Scripture literally see that as the period known as the tribulation period, a time when God's wrath is going to be unleashed on this earth. And he will come and he will exact judgment from every nation that has shed innocent blood. God will require justice. Now, now folks, hear me clearly. If I were afraid to say that, I should not be in the pulpit. If I were afraid to speak and say what God said, I need to go into another line of work. But God has said that he will judge, and he will do it in his time and in his way. And this lapse of judgment that you and I are witnessing does not mean that God has ignored what he said he would do. As one old preacher said, there will be payday one day. Now, Saul did not listen to God, and therefore he goes and he destroys the Amalekites. And if you look at these two lines, you see the one going down to the south. He destroys them, and then he goes back up and goes all the way over into the top of the Dead Sea. Now, we would call that the beach. Karen and I have been there. So Saul goes down. He destroys the Amalekites. He works his way back up and sets up a picture of himself. Isn't that nice? And he leaves a monument down there for the other people in the, that area to look at him and go, Oh, look how pretty King Saul is. He's the one that defeated the Amalekites. And now he's went on vacation. 
And so this is literally how it happened. He wanders back down, and now Saul is down at the beach in the villa house having a good time. But that night, in scene two, the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. And listen to what God says in chapter 15, verse 10, as I'll read this. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Here he's so upset that King Saul did not do what he said and now judgment is going to come on King Saul. So now we move into scene 3 where Saul is going to leave after he Samuel is going to leave after he hears from God and now he's going to confront King Saul. You ready? Here's the video camera, scene 1, scene 2 and now we're on the final scene. Notice what happens. I'm in verse 15. Uh As a matter of fact, I'm not. I'm in verse 12. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. The word set up a monument is literally the word raised a hand. He's pointing out who he is. You know, I'm Saul. I'm the one that defeated that army. Vote for me. That this is what he's doing. Vote for me. So he sets up a monument. And then notice what happens. And then he turned and he passed on and went to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, and here is the famous line, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Now, are you all tracking with me? English translations take a little bit of liberty here and they add a little bit of wording to make it rhythmic. But really, there is a key word here that's being uh, pointed out in the original language and that is the word sound of voice. So go back up into chapter 15 verse 1 and let me read this to you. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now, therefore, listen. I'm going to read it the original way. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the sound of the Lord. Now go down into verse 15, 14. What then is the sound of the sheep and the sound of the oxen? In other words, he's drawing a parallel here. God told you to do one thing, and I'm hearing the exact opposite. Now, by the way, this is kind of ironic. How many of y'all have ever been to a barnyard? Okay, a few of us. How many of y'all have ever been around a bunch of weaned cattle, trying to wean them, or sheep? I mean, it's just moo, moo. It's, I mean, they'll absolutely keep you up all night long. This is exactly what's going on here. You've got to get the picture. Samuel walks right down into Saul and says, Saul says, Hello, loved one of the Lord. I've done exactly what God said. And Samuel's going, I can't hear you because all these animals are squalling. That you were supposed to have annihilated. And that's the picture that we get here. Isn't it amazing, folks, how disobedience blinds us 
to reality. I mean, we can get ourselves in such a state of sin that we don't even know what is right and what is wrong anymore. It's all according to our own heart. Notice what he says. Saul said, they, don't you love this? Circle that. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Oh, wow, we've got a psychological case going on here. What We have blame shifting. He won't take responsibility for himself. What else do we have? We have the fact that he admits that God is not his God. He's Samuel's God. We have the, the concept here that he's, he's willing to make excuses instead of admitting what he has done. I mean, he's just saying it all. Notice what he says. We, we saved the best and the rest we devoted to destruction. Half obedience. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Hesh. Literally, that's what he said. Hush. There was an old country lady in our last church. She was interesting, by the way. I have to tell this story on her. Brian and I went on a, a board meeting one time in North Carolina, and we were coming back through, and she was one of the best cooks I've ever had. And I told her, I said, we're going to North Carolina. She said, stop by the house, and I'll fix you some dinner. So I told Brian, I said, we're going to stop by and see her. So we went down through the country and went up this back road. And, you know, people love to tell me West Virginia jokes. The timing could not have been better. We pull around the corner to pull up into her house, and she steps off the back porch with a pistol, and she's shooting a rooster out in her yard that has flogged her. It jumped up on her for the last time, and she's going to take this chicken out. I, I pull in the park and the driveway, and she's coming out shooting at this rooster. I stopped. I looked at Brian. I said, I don't ever want to hear another West Virginia joke <laughs> in my life. And by the way, the rooster never flogged her again. But while she was at our church, and she's, she is salt of the earth, folks, but her grandchildren one time, she was trying to correct them, and her grandchildren were talking over her. And she was trying to say, do this, and they just kept, and finally she went, hash, hash, and caught their attention. That is exactly what happened right here. Samuel is trying to tell Saul, you have disobeyed, you've not listened to God. And Saul cannot stop talking. He can't listen. And every time Samuel's trying to explain to him his disobedience, he's but, but, you, but, but. You ever had your kids do that? You're, you're trying to explain that. But, but, but. And, and you're finally just as a parent going, hush. And this is what Samuel, hush, stop. I'm going to tell you what the Lord said to me this night. Notice Saul can't even be quiet. Go ahead, tell me, speak. So Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? In other words, there was a time you were low in your eyes, Saul. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, 
Go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are all consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, by the way, this phrase, pounce on the spoil, what does that tell you about Saul and all the others saving the best? That tells you they were greedy. Now, why in the world would we get rid of all these good cattle? I mean, they'll fetch good money at the livestock auction. We'll just take them and sell them. That would be foolish. I mean, you know, I know God said to do this, but I mean, come on. We've lived long enough in this life to know how things work in this life. We'll just take them and cash them in. Human reasoning over the divine Word of God. How many times have we done that? Well, God, I know what you say, but God, I think I want to do this. We are famous at doing that. And this is exactly what he's doing. Now notice what happens. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord the second time. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king, to Amalek and have devoted to the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Saul, and here's our famous line, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than to offer the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now notice what's happening, and let me break this down quickly. He says... To obey is better than sacrifice. To listen than to offer the fat of rams. Very straightforward. God would rather have our obedience than he would our money. And he would rather have our our listening to him and doing what he tells us than our waving in worship. God's not impressed with the actions that we, we do in worship. He's more impressed with our life and our character. What do we do with his word? Now he explains why. Because when we fail to do what he tells us to do, what do we call that? Rebellion. You know, when your parents said to you when you were small, clean your room, and you turn around and look in your room and it's dirty, and you go, no. What is that called? It's not that you don't know. It's not called ignorance. Ignorance is you just don't know. Rebellion is... I know what somebody wants me to do that's higher than me, and I know that I should do it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just not. And I don't care whether they like it or not, I'm going to do what I want to do. That is rebellion. So God says, rebellion is as the sin of divination. By the way, what is divination? Uh, Karen and I were going down toward Roanoke yesterday, and there was a house on the side of 220 that said tarot cards, palm reading, and fortune telling here. Big house, all kinds of bright lights. When people go and do that, they are trying to hear a voice from the supernatural world. 
And so what God is saying here is that when you don't want to listen to His voice, you are listening to the voice of the other world. And it's the enemy whispering in your ear saying, ignore God. So to disobey God is to obey the devil. Can I just say it that way? That's why disobedience is like the sin of rebellion. And notice what he says, number two, and presumption, stubbornness, stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry. Now, what is stubbornness? Stubbornness is, you've heard the old saying, dig in your heels. Well, if you've never been on a barn, a farmyard, you don't know what that means. But if you've ever grabbed a hold of an animal and you're trying to get it to come forward, it's got four legs, what do they do? They do this and they lean back. And you can pull and I mean they just... And this is the image. The image is God has an animal by the head and he's trying to pull that animal to do what he wants it to do. But... What do we do? I mean, we've got traction control. We stick our heel down and we say, No, God, you're not going to pay. I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going to do it. So he says stubbornness, it could be translated, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, if we know that God Almighty, the Most High, has told us to do something and we don't want to do it. And we've dug our heels in saying, God, I know what you want me to do, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. What have we just told God? Lord, you are not on the throne. I am. Because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, folks... I know this is hard. You know, when I was a kid, we had stomach problems. My grandmother thought the remedy was castor oil. And if you don't remember castor oil or mineral oil, then you didn't grow up in the 80s or the 70s. But how that worked was, when you had an ailment, you had the option to either pinch your nose and swallow and pray that they give you a saltine cracker, or you just tasted it. But... It was medicine, and it was, it was good, and it would straighten you out, supposedly. <laughs> and sometimes we need to hear and take some medicine, don't we? You remember last week I told you we were all like Saul? And by the way, I'm right down here with you. Please, I'm, I'm sitting right in the seat beside you with my arm around you, and I'm going like this. I'm talking to me first. At times, we as human beings can be the most rebellious and stubborn people around. I've worked with animals. We've had lots of animals, been blessed with them, and I've seen some stubborn, wild, crazy animals. I have never seen anything quite as stubborn as a human. And I can be the same, by the way. Boy, I mean, can we be stubborn. And so God tells Saul here, you shouldn't have done that. You should have listened to me and not yourself and did what I told you to do. But Saul didn't, and therefore it cost him his kingship. God told him, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to another man who has a heart for me, 
and he will serve me. Now, this is a whole other message, but let me say, from this incident until the time that David became king is a 25-year period. God left Saul, the madman, the spear thrower, the backstabber. He left Saul in power for 25 years to chase King David around so that he could humble him and make David the man he wanted him to be. God left a thorn in his flesh to teach him and to humble him and to make him the leader that he should be. Now, that's a whole other message, and I'll deal with that later. The point is, what do we learn about this? What, what, are, what are some lessons that we learn from this? Well, first of all, I want to focus on leadership, You know, oftentimes, and Jay alluded to that this morning, oftentimes we expect someone in our life to walk in and be the answer to our problems. Maybe we think it's a husband. Maybe we think it's a wife. Maybe we think it's an employer. Maybe we think it's a politician. You can name it. But the bottom line is simply this. All people will eventually let us down. You know, I prepare my wife for this. Honey, I don't ever want to, but I am sure there are times in our life, and I know there have been in the past, when I have disappointed you and let you down. I am not Jesus. I am a fallen, broken, weak man. And there are to humble myself and apologize. Sir, like that. And when we look to a man to take God's place, we're going to be disappointed because people will disappoint us. We will disappoint other people. So what is the lesson we learn? The nation of Israel said, Give us King Saul. He's head and shoulders above everybody. He is going to be the man. And what did he do? He led them into defeat. But his failures are no comparison to Jesus' success. And I want to point these parallels out to you. First of all, Unlike King Saul, King Jesus will come one day. He will faithfully judge God's enemies. Now, I want to give you a quick biblical theology of judgment here because sometimes people have never seen this in the Scripture. If I ask you a question, true or false, God the Father will judge people at the great white throne, what would you say? Okay, I hear true. I hear, I don't know what I hear, but... Those are some answers. In one way, the whole Trinity will be involved, but in another way, only Jesus will judge. So notice this passage, John chapter 5, Jesus' words, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Sorry to all Mormons, all Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is equal to the Father. And the Father has given him the rank of the, as judge of the earth. And Jesus alone will judge with the support of the Godhead. He's the judge. And he will receive the same honor the Father does because of his judgment. Listen to Acts chapter 10. 
He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Jesus is the appointed judge. He is the one all the prophets pointed to. When you go back in Isaiah and read about the warrior who steps out in Isaiah 63 with his robe squished in blood, that is not God the Father. That is Jesus the Judge. That is Yahweh that Jay sang about this morning. The word Yahweh means I am. The first time it was used to Moses at the burning bush. You tell them, I am has sent you. I am. You get over into the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus is the judge. And he will carry out what God said he should do. Acts 17, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man that He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that He will judge. He is the judge. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh bowl. You know, the, the book's laid out, seals, broken off paper, boom, boom, boom. Seals, trumpets, bowls. The seventh bowl judgment, the angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. King Jesus will do what God said. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Folks, you and I are living in the world's hour today. We are not living in God's hour yet. But there's coming a day when King Jesus will carry out what God has said He will do. And he asks his people to live by faith and do not be disappointed and discouraged when things don't go our way. Because one day, God will act. And when God does act, it is going to happen just like he said it would. And being faithful is living in the troublous times and believing that God is going to do exactly what He said He's going to do, even if it doesn't fit our time schedule. Jesus will judge. The second comparison. Though God was disappointed in Saul's disobedience, I am ashamed I made him my son. He is not ashamed in Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Behold, a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved King, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him, He says. A third comparison, Saul exalted himself in pride and failed. Jesus humbled Himself. And God has exalted Him and given Him a name above every name. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should Bow. I'm going to preach a sermon on this one time. I want you to notice that word. Every knee should bow. That is not an imperative. An imperative is a command. You bow your knee. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what He's done for us, in light of the grace of God that He has provided for us, when people hear about Jesus and His love and His grace and His forgiveness that's offered to us, every knee should bow in subjection to Him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And on and on He goes on to say. That's another sermon, and I'll preach it to you. I promise. But what are the lessons we take home? You ready? Number one, true success is hearing God's voice and obeying it. God has been very clear in what we are to do to receive eternal life and to bring glory to Him. We need to hear His voice and we need to obey it. The world that we live in today is confused about right and wrong, folks. Listen to me. It is not our responsibility to tell them, in a sense, right and wrong. We are to live it in front of them. We are to offer hope to them. We are to be examples of what right and wrong is. But it is not my job to change the Republican or the Democrat Party. It is not my job to control Russia or Iran. I can't and you can't. My job is to live my life for Jesus that He might receive the glory and to do the best we can do, and live by faith knowing that God's going to do what He said He's going to do. Don't be ashamed of Him. Live for Him. Obey it. The second lesson we learn is this. True success is when we get praise from God, not praise from man. And I don't know how else to say this. Saul lived to please the people. Jesus lived to please the Father. And do you know that while Jesus lived to please the Father, He he let an awful lot of people down. I I have started studying this. How many times in Jesus' life did He let people down? Oh, He let John the Baptist down. Did you know that? John the Baptist, as a matter of fact, thought that Jesus should have done a whole lot more than He did. And when John was put in prison for preaching, he sent messengers to Jesus and said, you go ask him, are you really the Christ or are you not? 
I mean, you let me go out here and preach and you let me get in trouble and they're going to cut my head off and you haven't done anything. Now, who are you? Can't we hear ourselves? God, life wasn't supposed to look like this. I mean, Sharon, I wasn't supposed to get cancer, God. I, I loved you and I lived for you. But I got cancer. I wasn't supposed to lose my father in my early, late 20s. He was supposed to live to be an old grandpa and see my kids and be able to sit on the porch and rock them. That's not fair, God. You see how we handle life? God says, you hold, hold, hold. We're not living for the praise of this life. We are living for eternity. And my child, you walk by faith and not by sight. And one day I will not disappoint you. But until then, you have faith that I'm going to do what I said I would do. And then you will have my praise. And the third lesson we learn, earthly leaders will let us down and disappoint us. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He never will. He never will. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. By the way, David wrote this in Psalm 25. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Do you know where that verse is quoted again? Romans chapter 10, in a very familiar passage. And what does it say? That if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And if you do that, as the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. Do you know what the definition of success is? It's putting your hope and your trust and your faith in the person of Jesus Christ to take away your sin. And if you have done that, my loved one, in God's eyes, you are successful. And I hope you've done that today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us. And thank you for the hope that we have in him. We all, like Saul, are broken. And we need somebody much bigger than us, Lord, to take our burden and our pain. And thank you that Jesus did that on the cross as he gave his life to die in our place. And we are grateful today and we worship you. We worship him because of what he has done. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, either in our company watching this online, or they watch this in the future, that has not placed their faith in Jesus for eternal life, that they would do that right now, just by saying in their heart, Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, for taking my sin, and for offering me forgiveness and eternal life. I believe that you are God in flesh who died on the cross to pay my sin debt, and I trust you as my Savior.
thank you and we praise you, Father. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.